Lord, each Hebrew, you know this, but just so that all of us that are praying know it, each Hebrew festival starts with the same words in prayer, Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu, bless you, Lord, our God. And Lord, I think, it's, I think it's, it, it seems appropriate, instead of coming to you and asking, to come to you first in blessing. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are God even when we don't notice. Thank you that you care about us even when we don't feel it. And thank you that you walk beside us even when we don't know it. Lord, I'm asking you to stand in my shoes, give me your thoughts and speak with my mouth so that we hear your message for us, not my message for them. And give us eyes to see, ears to hear and hearts to receive what you would have us see, hear and receive. I pray this in the name of Jesus the most powerful name in the universe, through the power of the Spirit who lives within us for the glory of God our Father. Amen. So um, there's a biblical definition of faith. Uh, it's from Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. And most of you are familiar with it. There's different versions of the scripture, so you might not, it might not have the exact same words that I've kind of memorized, but faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you don't see, you do not see. Now, that's a wonderful thing to put up in stenciling along your, above the cabinets in your kitchen or in your family room or something like that. It's people often have cross stitches that they have this on a pillow or something like that. Faith is being sure of what you hope for and certain of what you do not see. But sometimes we miss what it means because it sounds so pretty. Um, if faith is being sure of what I hope for, it means faith is being sure of what I do not yet have, I am not yet experiencing. I, it, it isn't there, because there's no reason to hope for something you, are, you already have, so it's, it, faith is being sure that you're gonna get what you don't have, and, and it's being certain of what you don't see. So I'm gonna believe that it's there even though I can't see it. So I don't think there's really any faith involved if you feel faithful or if, if everything's going great and God's kind of blessing you and comforting you and showing up, there's not really much faith that you can believe and you can embrace, but there's not any faith needed because you have what you hope, what you were hoping for and you're seeing what you didn't see. But faith is necessary when it's ugly, when things are difficult, when things are frustrating, when, when you have to hope because you have nothing else. And if you don't have hope, you're hanging on to someone else who does. And it's, it, faith is necessary when you don't see the goodness of God, when you don't see God's provision, when you don't see that, that God's got something more in store. You have to be certain of it even though you don't see it. That's what Psalm 77 is about. It might not read like that, but that is, trust me, that is what it's about, and we're going to talk through it. Um, and I want you to know some things about this psalm. Number one, it feels a little sputtin. Uh, it feels a little sacrilegious. Um, I, I'm un, I, I've confessed before that I'm not real comfortable in the psalms because I feel like I'm reading somebody else's journal, and there are things there that I shouldn't know. This is for public worship. This man wrote this psalm and he shakes his fist at God. He's accusing God. And the West Michigan polite, you're not supposed to do that. In fact, I would rather lie to your face than disappoint you. And I certainly, if I'm going to talk about you, if I'm if, if West Michigan polite, if I'm going to talk about you, I'm not going to talk about your face. I'm going to talk about you to someone else. Right? We all know how it works. The, the prayer requests. 
I had a friend in my last charge who would not, his wife would not let him give his testimony because he had three felonies before he was 17 years old. Wife would not let him give his testimony at church because she knew, I think she hoped it wouldn't be true, but she knew that people, once they knew his past, that's all they would see. And so they wanted to keep it quiet. That's sad. This psalmist wrote a psalm for public worship where he shakes his fist and points his finger at God. And I'm a little, actually, I'm not a little uncomfortable with it. I'm uncomfortable with it. So I just want you to know that going in, that there's something beautiful that God allowed this to show up in scripture, inspired by God, so that we would know that we can be honest and raw before God. I don't think that God really appreciates us acting like spoiled children. Um, any of you parents, if you've ever had your, your child at the gro- admire and they see a big Snickers bar and they want it, they got to have it, it must be now. And, and you go, no, you know what sugar does. You try to reason and they fall on the ground and they do their little tantrum thing. I, no one's ever seen this. I know it's just my kids. Got it. And they do the little tantrum thing. And mom, poor mom has to drag that kid right out of the store. Absolutely embarrassed. Some, most of the time, actually, I would probably give in because I don't want the embarrassment of it. I don't think that that's how God wants us coming to him, stomping. But, but I think it gives him something to work with when we do. So I'm going to read this passage. There's a few segments in it. And you'll know when he's kind of changing mood or voice when you hear the word Selah. And Selah just means pause. At least that's what we're pretty sure that's what it means. It's not really a direct translation. But in public worship, the psalmist would pause and the people would say back Selah. And then there would be this kind of awkward silence. And people were supposed to consider what was just been said or what they had just heard or what they were supposed to be thinking. And so you'll see some changes in mood here. But at first, it's, it's a remembrance. It, it's saying to God, prayer's not working. And then it's accusing God. And then there's a change. And the change part and that little transition is where we're going to spend most of our time. It reads like this in, from the, the NIV. I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands. My soul refused to be comforting. Just so you know the grammar of this, it does, he's not telling his soul not to be comforted. He's basically saying, no matter what I tried, it, nothing helped, okay? I remembered you, oh God, and I groaned. I mused and my spirit grew faint. Selah. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years long ago, and I remember my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired. He's talking about when it was good and when prayer felt like it worked. Will you, Lord, reject forever? Will, you, or will he never show his favor again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Selah. And I'm not doing the weird, I get grief because I have, if I feel uncomfortable, I do this. It's called, they call it, someone calls it the rolling up the window. The, I don't like, I don't like that. I don't, I can't imagine now, currently, a time when I would go, are you kidding me, God? But that's what he's doing. But if I think back, I've had those. 
And I know some people here that have had those moments. And my guess is recently, Tom and Diane have had those. Spencer and Jen have had those. I'm guessing recently some of you have had some of those moments, some of those times when you're like, come on, where are you? But I'm uncomfortable it's in scripture because I, I, I don't want it to be true that God wants me to be that way. But if I look at scripture and I see other stories, the psalmist will quote one, he'll talk about the, the being relieved or being rescued from Egypt after 400 years of slavery. He'll talk about that. Um, the same psalmist that's saying, are you gonna be, are you gonna, do you not love us anymore? Is basically what he's saying. But if I look at scripture, I see more and more. You remember the story of Jacob? Jacob was the guy who stole his brother's blessing. Um, Esau, Esau's the other brother, and, and Jacob, he has to run away after he did what he did, and uh, his mom helped him out with that, and, and he went off, and, and he married the wrong woman, and then he ended up marrying the right woman, and he grew up, and he was really not a guy that is to be admired. He was not a man of great character. In fact, his name talked about being an ankle grabber, or one who takes what isn't his, but God even though he stole the blessing, God allowed the blessing to be his. And so God called him back to go back to where he came from. And Jacob, when he did it, he heard that his brother Esau, who had become a great warrior, was coming to get him because he was still upset that he had taken what wasn't his. And so the warring tribe of Esau is coming and Jacob does what every, every guy will do, you know, Mr. Courage. And he divides up all of his family and his livestock and all of his possessions into two pieces. Uh, and he sends one out in case Esau kills him, Jacob and the rest of them can run away. I don't like that. But then Jacob camps by the fort of the Jabbok at night. And, uh, and, and he cries out to God and he says, and he basically saying, God, you promised that this blessing that came from my dad is going to go to me and it's going to go to my descendants. So you keep your promise. That's what he's saying. And God shows up and he wrestles with Jacob all night long. And I love this story because anyone who's ever had a kid, um, or wrestled with a niece or nephew. When, when my son was 20 months old, we, we lived in a little house on Oak Forest Drive and, and we had a front yard and he would, he, you know, he could run and he thought he was tough and I would sit down in the front yard and he would run full speed and knock me over. Yeah, knock me over. And we would wrestle and he would think he was winning and, and, but it was never a, it was never a struggle. It would, he would destroy me now, but it was never a struggle. So I picture God wrestling with this man, this creature, and he's just kind of like, Jacob's exhausted. But here's something about Jacob. And I don't know the theological ramifications for this, but God said, hey, son's coming up. I got to go. I don't know why he has to go when the son's coming up. But, and Jacob says, no, I'm not letting you go till you bless me. That's button. I don't think you get to tell God what he must do, but he did. And God made him confess who he was. He goes, what's your name? God knows his name. But Jacob had to say, I'm sinner. And God says, you're no longer Jacob. He changed his character. You're no longer Jacob. You're now Israel because you have wrestled with God and were not overcome. So God blesses that kind of Honesty and, and, and like, no, God, he does. In fact, we see it throughout scripture. So have you ever had an opportunity or had a circumstance where you had to be honest with God? Or did you do what most of us do 
West Michigan polite and clean yourself up before you went to the one who was going to give you a bath. Because a lot of times we try to make ourselves more presentable to God instead of coming to God raw. See, I think, I think if faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see, that when we don't see it, we should tell the one who does. I think that he wants us to be honest because it gives him something to work with. You know, we hear about, um, you know, clay in the hands of the potter, right? The master's hand. Um, and clay isn't, I mean, it's dirty, it's messy. You've all seen ghosts, right? Um, it, it's really, it's, it's gooky. And, and he makes something out of it, but he's got to have raw material to work with. And I'm not saying that God can't do the work anyway, but when we give him raw material, when we're raw and honest with God, I think there's something that he wants to change. And we see a movement here in this psalm that changes. So I'm going to give you this thought before we read that. There's a, there's a movie um, from years ago, a couple decades old, I think, called Shadowlands, uh, where Anthony Hopkins plays the character C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis was one of the greatest thinkers and apologists, uh, Christian, Christian thinkers and defenders of the faith of the 20th century. He wrote the Chronicles of Narnia. He wrote the uh, Space Trilogy. He wrote Mere Christianity. Brilliant man. Um, was a convert to Christianity and uh, was older when he got married. And he, he loved his wife and she was stricken with cancer. And cancer treatments are much different today than they were in, in the World War II era. So it looked like she was not going to make it. And it turned out she didn't. But there was a time where, where, it was, um, where she was in remission. And in the movie, Anthony Hopkins playing C.S. Lewis, one of his colleagues, one of his professorial colleagues came up to him and said, Oh, I'm so glad to hear about your wife. Your prayers worked. God changed his mind. And C.S. Lewis, Anthony Hopkins, as C.S. Lewis said, prayer doesn't change God. It changes me. It changes us. And I think that might be part of the reason that we don't go to God honestly. Because I'm afraid he might change me. I want him to change him. I want him to change my circumstances. See, God allows things that he could prevent. And when he, when I know that he could prevent it and he allows it anyway, I want him to change his mind. I've told you this and I'm not trying to, I don't want to be the, the guy who's defined by my pathology with the, but this medical stuff that I've been dealing with all this pain for the last eight months. Um, I told you a couple months ago, uh, that, that my prayer life changed that, that one day I was going to I was going to God in prayer um, because of the pain, sitting down hurts. So I, I lay out on my couch and I was talking to God and I said, God, because I, I, I hate it when I find myself bargaining or listing off why God should do something for me, right? I'm trying to convince God to change. And, and I said, I'm not going to bargain with you. And then five minutes later, he kind of woke me up and I, I didn't fall asleep, but he kind of woke me up to what I was doing. I was going through a litany of, well, this person has betrayed me, this person, and I, God, I, I'm blind in one eye. I've lost my hearing and it's, it, you know, so I got some of it back, but I'm hearing aids at a young age. And, and then I've been in nine car accidents, two rollovers, three concussions, one near death experience. I've had 14 surgeries, 22 dislocations. And, 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 and I'm going through this litany of all the things that are bad that have happened to me and basically saying, haven't I had enough? Can't, can't you make one thing work out for me? And he didn't speak. I don't hear God audibly. Some people do, but I don't. But he just kind of went, whoa, I thought you said you weren't going to bargain with me. But now I got something to work with. See, 
I was trying very hard to make sure that I had a good attitude when I came to God, no matter what I was, I'm going through. And I finally got, and in fact, I told the, the staff a couple of days before that, that I'm done being brave. I'm, I'm done. I'm not going to, I'm not going to pretend like this is all okay. And that I'm being refined by fire. I'm just done being brave. And so God finally went, okay, okay. So let's, let's talk about that. Do you want what you want or do you want what I have to give you? And my prayer changed that day. I, every prayer now starts. If it's personal prayer, every time it starts, show me what you want me to see. Tell me what you want me to hear and give me only what you want me to have. Sometimes God wants me to have that which I do not want. And I have to trust that he is faithful because he's been faithful. Because God, I the Lord, says the Lord, do not change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So when life hits, when you want to shake your fist, do it. But know that your prayer isn't going to change God. It's going to change you. And this movement in this passage changes the heart of the psalmist. He just got done saying, has he in anger withheld his compassion? And then I thought, to this I will appeal. The years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O oh God, are holy. What God is so, is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters, he's talking about the Red Sea here. The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. Their very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water and the skies resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Or your, yeah, your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. So what changed in him? I see all that's wrong and there's no comfort in it. Therefore, I'm going to decide to have faith. I'm going to be sure of what I hope for and certain of what I am not seeing. I'm going to remember that God, who God is, he's faithful. And because he has behaved this way in the past, because he has done these things in the past, and, and, and I got to believe that he's doing them now, even though I don't see it. In fact, he even says right here, when they, when they pass through the, just picture the Red Sea for a minute. You've been a slave for 400 years. Not you personally, but generations, you've been a slave. You know nothing but being a slave. You just saw God take on a demon-worshiping Pharaoh with 10 plagues. He made all, those, all the multiple gods of Egypt look foolish. And then Pharaoh ended up telling you to leave, not only told you to leave, but sent you with stuff. 
and you, sh- and you come up and then the Pharaoh has second, he second guesses himself and he decides to kill you, kill you all. So you show up, you don't know how to swim. You're a slave. They didn't have swimming pool lessons in a local neighborhood that Josiah DeVries runs you through um, and teach you how to swim and tread water and do the little doggy paddle and then the, the, the freestyle and the breaststroke and the backstroke and butterfly, never could do butterfly. Um, you didn't know any of that. So you're up against a, a, a sea, an ocean, and you've got the biggest army and the most powerful army in the world behind you, ready to kill you. And, and God goes, no. And he, it says here that the rain, the, the clouds, thunder, lightning, the whole earthquakes and walls of water pile up and you walk through it. But it says right there, your way through the mighty waters though your footprints we didn't see. And even as he joined them in the desert, it was Moses and Aaron. They knew that God was present because Moses Moses and Aaron were present. Not because God showed up in a way. He showed up in a very real way, but he's still mysterious. He's still invisible. You still don't know. And right now, no matter what you're going through, whatever you're in the midst of, no matter how much hope you've lost, he's still working. You don't see him because God isn't seen, but he is working. It tells you in scripture, it says, well, the, the, the Heidelberg Catechism says, um, that's our, one of our confessions that are specific to the Reformed traditions, but it, it says that God watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. If he cares about a hair falling off your head, do you think he's not concerned about whatever it is you're going through? whatever questions you might have, whatever frustration or angst you might be experiencing, whatever disease you have, whatever, how difficult it is to breathe or whatever's going on in your marriage relationship. Do you think he's not concerned about that? Of course he is. Even when you don't think he is, even when he's allowing that which he could prevent, even though God is present, even though you don't notice. This psalmist goes from nothing's working How dare you, God, to, oh yeah, who is God? And a decision to trust that God is good and that he loves you even though. And I've told this story before. We all know, any of you that have ever met my wife, you know that in most relationships, someone had to settle a little bit. Lynn had to settle a lot. Okay, I married up. I got it. So when we were young, Mornings, we'd wake up, I'd cover my mouth because of morning breath, and I would say something like, you're stuck. I heard your vow. You're a godly woman. I heard your vows before God and witnesses. There's no out until you're dead or until I'm dead. Oh, wait. want to be careful about that one because she might see there's an easy way out. And one day she, she, she always, she's not real. I'm not saying she's not quick. She's brilliant. But humor-wise, she's not always that quick. Um, so I said, you're stuck, you're stuck with me. And she goes, oh, I love you, even though. <laughs> even though why? I don't want to know. But I know me. I wouldn't want to be married to me. But she's chosen to love me even with all my junk, even with my baggage, even when I'm sinful, even when I'm um, irritable, even when I'm prideful, even when she, choose, she says, I love you even though. And honestly, that's a really good picture of the love that God has for you. He loves you even though. Even when you are acting like a spoiled child who didn't get a Snickers bar, even when you, you, you're frustrated with him because he's not giving you what you want. 
I think the thing that the Lord did with me is he said, Trent, do you want what you want or do you want what I have to give you? And I don't always like what he has to give me, but God's not gonna change, I am. So I just really have one question for you and then we're gonna read a different version of this passage. Are you honest with God? I mean, honest. Do you tell him what you really think of him? Do you tell him what you really know of you? Because you're not hiding anything from God, he's God. And if you are honest, hang on like you have never held on before. Hold unswervingly to the hope you profess because the one who promised is faithful. Here's the Eugene Peterson's version of this, of this psalm. He's an expert in Hebrew, a great theologian. And he wrote it in, he translated it in the kind of common everyday language that we live with today. I yell out to God, I yell out all with all my might. I yell at the top of my lungs, he listens. I found myself in trouble and, when, and, and went looking for my Lord. My life was an open wound that wouldn't heal. My friend said, everything will turn out all right. I don't believe a word they said. I remember God, I shake my head. I bow my head and I wring my hands. I'm awake all night, not a wink of sleep. I can't even say what's bothering me. I go over the days one by one. I ponder the years gone by. I strum my lute all through the night, wondering how to get my life together. Will the Lord walk off and leave us for good? Will he never smile again? Is his love worn threadbare? Has his salvation promise burned out? Has God forgotten his manners? Has he angrily stalked off and left us? Just my luck. The high God goes out of business just the moment I need him. Once again, I'll go over what God has done. Lay out on the table the ancient wonders. I'll ponder all the things that you've accomplished and give a long, loving look to your acts. Oh God, your way is holy. No God is like you, is like God. You're the God who makes things happen. You showed everyone what you can do. You pulled your people out of the worst kind of trouble, rescued the children of Jacob and Joseph. Ocean saw you in action, God. Saw you and trembled with fear. Deep ocean was scared to death. Clouds belched buckets of rain. Sky exploded with thunder. Your arrows flashing this way and that. From whirlwind came your thundering voice. Lightning exposed the world. Earth reeled and rocked. You strode right through ocean. Walked straight through roaring ocean. But nobody saw you come or go. Hidden in the hands of Moses and Aaron. You led your people like a flock of sheep. He's there. He's here. And when you don't see him, it doesn't change that he's there. Your experience is not God's experience. He's going to put someone in your life. He's going to use hidden in the hands of a Moses or an Aaron or he's gonna just have someone sit with you in the suck so that you know you're not alone. And when that person sits with you in the suck, that person is the presence of God. The psalmist says, after all the junk, once again, I will remember the works of the Lord. So I ask you, when you're in the middle of it, remember, and as a parenthetical 
an aside, because I don't believe, I don't know, I don't think the Lord told me this, but I want to say, you know, it's getting bad out there. We're not ruled as slaves by, by a demon-worshiping king like they did in Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar. Um, we're not, we don't have a pharaoh that's a demon worshiper that's, that's keeping us enslaved for 400 years. It's been worse, but it's getting pretty bad. And I wonder why. Where's God in this? When's he going to rescue us? But I think part of it, I think he may be testing us to see if we're going to hold unswervingly to the hope we profess. If we're going to proclaim that God is God, even if it doesn't look like it. When everyone tells us how foolish we are, maybe God's asking his church to remain faithful, to be sure of what we hope for and certain of what we aren't seeing so that his name will be glorified and his church will thrive. I don't know for sure, but it seems to be that that's where God's leading us. Let's pray. Lord, once again, we look around us and we see things falling apart. We see person against person. We see families that won't even talk anymore over something like politics. This is not good. So what are you calling your church to? What are you calling individuals to? Lord, we ask simply this, that you give us the courage to be honest. And more than that, that you give us the courage to be changed when you speak back in our honesty. So be honest with us. Help us become who you want us to become once again. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.